At 12 years old, she stood 6 feet tall, and at 15, a commanding 6'3". Determined not to let her physique become an obstacle, this towering teenager set out to show the world that standing tall and with the right attitude, anyone can lead a life that goes way beyond their imagination. I knew I couldn't go back. Your you just life. put it out there. She said you've got less than a year to live. Just dug even Luck deeper. is the residue of design. Nobody else was doing it, so I couldn't. That I? was the turning point. Hi, I'm Phil Cogan. Welcome to the Bucket Podcast, where I talk to mavericks, innovators, and disruptors. People who take chances, those who swerve off the predictable road, face their fears and refuse to say no. Amazingly resilient people who are motivated and tenacious. Those who have said bucket and who epitomize what it means to ticket before you kick it. Gabrielle Reese is married to legendary big wave surfer Laird Hamilton. She's a fitness icon, model, best-selling author, and former professional beach volleyball player. She's Nike's first female spokesperson and the first female athlete that they called on to design a woman's shoe. Gabby is the true definition of strength and beauty, and her message, particularly to women, is clear. Stand tall, be proud, and stop being your own worst enemy. Embrace your imperfections and less-than-perfect life. Be as fit and healthy as you can be, And if your foot is too darn big for the proverbial glass slipper, then so be it. I caught up with Gabby in Malibu just after she'd finished an extreme performance training pool session that she regularly dishes out to a group of hardened souls. Are you good, Scott? Rolling both of them? Okay. This is Gabrielle Reese, and we are uh, in a place near Malibu, California. Thank you for talking to me. I would love to start talking about your book, because um, there were a lot of surprises in this book for me. I, I mean, I've known you for, for a while, and I mean, it's really, really interesting. The title, I think, says a lot about you and your personality. I was wondering how you came up with this title, by the way. My foot is too big for the glass slipper. Well, my, I wrote a book many years ago, many years ago, and it was called uh, Big Girl in the Middle. And yeah. so big started feeling like a theme and I ironically have very large feet for a woman. I have a size 12 foot and, um, and I wanted to call it how not to impale yourself on the white picket fence or death by domestication, but they weren't going for it. So that's what we came up with. It's a good one. Yeah. And it's just sort of a pun. We all know what the whole Cinderella story is. So yeah. Yeah. And you've really owned it over the years, but when you were younger, it was challenging, right? I mean, yeah. if I'm not mistaken, when you were 12, you were six feet. And mm-hmm. then when you were 15, you were six, three. Yeah. So it, listen, I, and I didn't really grow up. I had a very a tall mother and she, she never seemed overly impeded by it. Um, but it was more, quite frankly, the reaction of other people around you where everywhere you go at a time in your life where you're already pretty uncomfortable uh, people are staring at you, and and uh, so I think it was was challenging, and then it became uh, a, certainly a gift, but also challenging for other reasons. I think, listen, this is what I know. I think for women, if we're if we're taught, oh, you're trying to be a nice person or a nice girl or a nice woman, that you don't, you know, like in sports, the idea of trying to beat someone badly is in conflict with you're trying to be nice. So I think 
this actually represents a lot of things that you learn to either decide you're going to overcome or not. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's a great, a great quote, life doesn't have to be perfect to be good. Yeah. Well, I think actually perfect might be kind of boring. Yeah. I think a little messy and, and all the lessons. Listen, I, I can tell you that since I've written this book, I've had the largest lessons, certainly in parenting. Maybe this book really was a lot about the relationships, about my relationship with Laird and that dynamic. Yeah. But since then, and um, my children have gotten older, the imperfection has grown even larger. You know, my daughter that was maybe nine or 10 in this book when it came out is now 14. Right. You know, the other one's getting older. Now my oldest is just out of college and trying to transition, taking on the real world. And everyone does that very, pretty differently. Yeah. You know, you, you create all these expectations, I, I believe. And I didn't have really the most conventional uh, way of growing up. My father died. My mother left for fear. She came back and wasn't particularly sort of on, on it. Uh, your dad passed away when you were very when I was young, like five. Five, yeah. And I wasn't living uh, with either one of my parents when he died. But you get this notion like, okay, I'm going to do it different. Like I'm, I'm going to, if I have a partner, let's see if we can actually stay together. Um, I'm, I'm not, I don't really drink. And, you know, it's, it's all these things like you go, okay, if I hit the marks, like if I'm, if I'm here and I, I pay attention and I do it, it's, I'm going to avoid certain things. And you create these weird pictures in your mind, even like the Cinderella notion. And then you realize that, um, that doesn't exist. You know, it just simply doesn't exist. Was there an age where you realized that that didn't exist? Or did you grow up with that just because of the fact that you were always different? I mean, f being 15 and six foot three, I I'm thinking about just, first of all, the dynamic with your girlfriends, but then sure. boys. I mean, how many boys are six foot three at 15? Well, that's why you date 20 year old young men. Okay. 15. <laughs> no, I guess what I'm saying is also even redefining, you know, you have these expectations and maybe the most important, you think it's your, your own life's goals and then, okay, you're in a relationship, but then you have these ideas for your children. And if you really want to surrender in, in a real way, you know, I liken it, it's like your face is on the mat and your arms behind you and you just go, okay, I'm going to tap out on this one. Because you're not objective about your children, and it feels like the most precious, important job that you're really ever going to have, that you only have sort of, you don't really get the redo on it. And you start to realize that um, there, is, there is no norm or picture. Each kid is different. All the dynamics are different. Their life's experience is different sometimes better than you had thought of and yeah. sometimes worse. And so I think that my point is, is that you keep being reminded that, um, there is no white picket fence. There is no ideal like, okay, two, two and a half children and you know, the cars in the driveway and you know, all these things are happening. What's happening is what's happening. And you can choose to look at what's magical about that and even acknowledge when you feel disappointment. Because mm. I've, I've felt that even as a parent, right? I've gone through things where maybe one of my daughters has gone through something or is a certain way, and I have felt disappointed as a parent. And then you have to be a grown-up, and you have to say, uh, 
yeah, but this is not your life. This is their life. Mm. And so what, what's my role in this and what can I do in this? So I think it's, it's about all of it, right? It's about acknowledging your own feelings. And then how do you want to move forward through that? Yeah, you've said too that you, you started to see obstacles as, as a, a chance for opportunity. But at the same time, you've also, f- you've also fit into a lot of these sort of ideals. Like you've been also called one of the most beautiful women in the world. So mm-hmm. the, the, the reality is in your own mind, you know, I've got, I'm not necessarily perfect. Mm-hmm. But on the one hand, people want to hold you up like you are sometimes. So yeah. how you balance that must be very difficult. Well, this is, if I could say this to all humans, my, what made me different was at least initially was so obvious mm. that in a way, what was great about that, it let me off the hook. Mm. I, I, I understood that quickly by 12, 11, 10, you understand quickly, Hey, you're never going to fit in. So it sort of liberates you in, in you try, but you realize that you're not going to, but what, what, what you start to know as a, maybe a little bit more experienced person is we're all different. Mm. And, and some of us, it takes longer because maybe it wasn't quite as obvious. Yeah. And so I think in a way that's a gift to me that I, I went through my life early understanding that. And so I stopped really early trying to sort of fit in. And then what happens is then that's not your metric. That's not your measure. So if someone says, oh, you're, you know, attractive or whatever that is, that's not your metric either. So if they say, hey, you suck or you're amazing, right. you, you figure out the way to liberate yourself from those standards. Yeah. You've got to, we all are different and we all have to answer to ourselves and then maybe a couple people we use as North Stars because we know, hey, they care about me and they're going to tell me the truth. And whether I'm crushing it in work or uh, my skin's perfect, they genuinely love me. So I think that within that, it was difficult, but ultimately, like a lot of difficult things, the best thing that could happen. And and you've really blazed your own trail and you you seem to just, like Laird, you just do your own thing. Living with Laird and someone like Laird sort of reinforces like, it's going to work out somehow. He's really good at that. He's a, he's much more faith-based than I am. I'm much more concerned or worried or because of my maybe lack of stability when I was young, I'm always looking for this sort of stable, I want to know kind of answer, which is all made up anyway. We never know, even when it's all kind of locked down. You know, I say like Laird and I are married and we have property together and we have children. And guess what? Today is the day. And, you know, I have other friends that they're dating someone and that they don't know. I go, it, it really, today's the day. So however, which way we want to look at it, this thing of I'm going to have it figured out. Um, I have all the security. It, it's, I don't think it's really real. I would like it to be real because that would make me, it would probably ease some of my weird things that I have that hopefully I'm getting better at. But Laird is really good at trusting and knowing it's really going to be okay. And that is actually the best thing Lord ever says to me. He always says to me, hey, it's going to be okay. And it is okay. He, he did say he was unbearable to live with. Did he say that? <laughs> yeah. He's not. He's so full of it. <laughs> he is an intense person. I've been with Lord 22 years. 
and um, he's exhausting. Like you just go. <laughs> That's what he said. He said it's like he you said, can't even he said believe I, he it. He said he exhausts himself. <laughs> okay, so one of the best lines he ever said to me, I, I think it was a couple years ago. He, you know, he's like a caged animal. Yeah. It just it's That's it's what he said. so intense. <laughs> like you see it, and you just go. And I think he saw this look in my eye, because I'm really good about giving Laird space. Like I don't make it about me. I think young when I was younger in our marriage, I probably did. Um, and then I learned like, yeah, that's definitely not going to work. I, and you know, note to every female on the planet: if you if you know if the accomplishment you can leave the earth with is you don't take things personal, that's probably a good start. But um, you know, I walk in the bathroom and Laird's in the shower, and he can see. I, I have a look. I'm very good about kind of staying neutral. Very good. And I think he could still see in my face, like, whoa. And he looked at me, he goes, you think it's hard to live with? He's like, try being like this. And I thought, great point. And I just walked out of the bathroom. It's a great thing. I can just shut the door and be like, okay, that's you, you know? But yeah, listen, all cohabitation has funkiness. Yeah. And, you know, when we're on top of each other, and then all of a sudden, like, you have to talk about work and bills and a kid's in trouble, and it's unsexy sometimes. Yeah. So that's going to happen with anyone. And you can't just turn a switch and suddenly, you know, make it something that meets that other person's expectations. It doesn't just work like that. No. And it's all connected. There's an ebb and flow to these things. Well, like everything in life, right? There's a yeah. rhythm. And I think uh, I've learned a couple things, which is Laird really does, is genuinely dedicated to to myself and to our family. Yeah. And that in itself, I, I think is a pretty noble trait. And by the way, he's much nicer in certain things than I am because I'm the mom in certain ways. Moms are tougher because we're hitting, you know, it's an everyday mark and dads are sort of, you know, more sweet and like, Oh, okay. And, and yeah, okay. They come up the rear and they yell at for nothing. And you go, okay, what's he yelling about? And the girls kind of look at me and I just go like, okay. <laughs> but overall, that I, I really appreciate that. And, there, and I've said this before. To meet somebody who is... I, I was a, a, a good athlete. I'm a good athlete. You were but, a okay, phenomenal but, athlete. Yeah, but that's not the point. So the point is this. Well, it's a, uh, But it's I a live with somebody who... It's a different level. And I might maybe have met two or three other athletes at that yeah. level. And I've met hundreds of athletes. The pursuit of greatness, the quest, the, uh, the mission the purpose, all of these things is in this. And yet he's still actually trying to have a regular life. Most of them can't do it hmm. in anything, a painter, well, a musician, someone who is so singularly obsessed. It is so challenging for them to have the bandwidth to expand beyond that obsession, to not phone it in, really show up and be there. Yeah, I'd love you to put that in perspective, actually, because I've heard people describe, and I de definitely agree with them, that, that in terms of greatest athletes, all-round athletes, like people who have the ability to pretty much do anything that they yeah. wanted to do, that's the guy you're living with, right? Well, his, first of all, his opponent can beat him every time. Yeah. So you're going to be pretty humble when you're really clear that no matter what you do, you're only being allowed to ride with her. She can beat you every time hmm. on a good day, on a bad day, on a big day, on a small day. So 
Laird grew up with that humility. He also grew up in Hawaii where humility is coveted. That's how I grew up in yeah. the Caribbean. Did you grow up in Barbados? St. Thomas. St. Thomas. Yeah, my family. I Trinidad. think we talked about this. You, your dad was from Trinidad? Trinidad, yeah. You know, people say, oh, you're both very tall and blonde hair and athletic, perfect couple. And I'm like, no, what, bi what binds Laird and I besides a great love and respect for one another is we come from islands. We have island mentality. Yeah. And, and it there is, is a special mindset. It's just a little different. Yeah. It was, it's just, you're just raised that way, whatever that way is. How did you get then from St. Thomas? Where did you go from there? So like, right. My junior year, I was getting into trouble and going nowhere very quickly. It sounds like a little bit like Laherty was getting into, he said yeah. he was, he was much more radical. Yeah. I was, I was uh, more measured. What were you doing? What was radical? Well, I was a 15 year old girl that just, looked a lot older okay. and uh, there's not a lot to do. So you're just going to get in trouble and okay. you're at a place where all ages meld together. Yeah. So if you're 15, you can hang out with 25 year olds. Yeah. It's just a, it's just a different And there's deal. just a smaller population pool too. And everybody yep. knows everybody. And yeah. Yeah. So my mother moved me to St. Petersburg, Florida, and I went to a highly conservative Christian school my junior and senior year. I was six. Was foot the idea that you were going to be sorted out and that the discipline was going to get you on track and yeah, and also I, what I really appreciate about that was in St. Thomas, for me, my idea was, okay, I'll drudge through high school, and then you, like, you'll get some job, and that's what you'll do. You, you, I knew there was a world out there. I had traveled a bit, but I didn't understand that I could participate in, in that part, in mm. making that happen. And so when I went um, to St. Petersburg, I met some really fine people. I had very fine coaches. I had a principal, um, Mr. Greener and his wife. Literally, I lived with them my senior year for a few months. It was pretty funny. And um, these were people that maybe saw something in me I didn't see and supported me and helped me get there. And then I got scholarship offers to play sports. And for me, that was a whole weird thing. Was it volleyball right out of the gate? Or and, basketball. and basketball. I actually had a better basketball coach. I had a coach, um, Dean Souls, who used to like take me to church and the barbecue with his family and tell me like, just be nice to my mother and uh, was a great coach. So I was a better basketball player because I had this very good coach. And I went to some camps and I realized probably volleyball was I enjoyed like the idea of like a net between my opponent and myself. Yeah. So she so got a couple of BC camps and you realize like how tough the basketball girls really are. And if you want to play at a high level, they're ready to go. Yeah. And so volleyball was really fun for me. And, and I thought, Oh, this is so strange. Like I'm going to go to college. And I went to Florida state and my coach at Florida state was, is still a very dear friend of mine 30 years later. And she was an incredibly pivotal person who taught me about personal accountability and when I got the opportunity to start modeling, because I was paying my own bills, it was a job. I wasn't, you know, delusional going like, I'm going to be a model. Plus I was six foot three. So really where I could work was sort of limiting. I didn't fit into everything. So that actually, again, was another godsend. Harder for obvious reasons, but keeping me really clear that, hey, this has a ceiling. You'll only really, and I, I worked a lot and I was pretty successful, but I understood there was going to be limitations. Do you, do you, are you somebody who believes that adversity is, is a, is a great teaching tool for creating mental toughness in terms of overcoming other obstacles that come up in life? Like some people, they just never, when they're younger, they never face hardship. And then sometimes they're not able to be stronger mm -hmm. later in life. 
Sounds like you had a lot of hurdles to get through. Sure. I mean, only if they're natural. You know, I worry about that for my children because Laird and I have tried to work hard to create some kind of... That's yeah. why we're so mean to them because yeah. we're trying to give them hurdles. I'm joking, but I'm well, kind of said... not. We're pretty like direct with them. And my whole thing is I don't need to be right. I don't. And Laird is even way better at this than I am. Well, he said you're right. Well, I am, but I've learned that I don't have to be right. Or even... You know, listen, another valuable lesson to anyone in a relationship, you can be 90% right, let's say. Yeah. But if the 10% is valuable, hear it so you can learn. Yeah. Hear it. So it isn't right. It's what are they saying that's important that you can take away from this to improve upon? That's really interesting. Not like, well, I'm 90% right. So it's not just one, not right and wrong. It's like, well, why is What's happening? Yeah, what's going on? Yeah. So if there's adversity and it's natural, because one thing I really stress to my kids is, never create undue drama. If you can avoid drama and hassle, do it. Because you don't know what life's going to bring you. So when you can minimize ways to have, you know, busyness, goopiness with other people, do it. Yeah. And it's just a better, it's just a you can fly more if you're always mired in like minutia, especially girls, right? We get hooked up into all this garbage that it, it's like, yo, it's not worth it. Like keep your mouth shut. Don't spread other people's business. If you have something to say, say it directly to the person, like just avoid the drama. Um, so I think if, but certainly if something comes at you, that isn't, is a challenge, it's coming. So deal with it. Yeah. And, under, and also try to go, well, why is this happening? What can I get from this? Um, and you can admit the days that it feels overwhelming or hard. And if you need a good cry or if you feel piled on. And then what do you want to do? Because not going anywhere. What do you say to parents when they talk about how you look after your kids or how protective you are of your kids? Because I'm sure when you grew up on St. Thomas and... Mm-hmm. I know from growing up in Antigua, I mean, my dad got sick and tired of taking me to the hospital for broken bones, right. stitches. Mm-hmm. We were kind of just left to our own devices. Sure. I remember riding all around Antigua on my 10-speed bike. And, and now a lot of parents are like hovering over their kids and protecting them from falling out of a tree and breaking their arm and going through that sort of rite of, of passage. How are you doing that with your kids? Like how, how hands-on are you and how much do you let them do their own thing? I'm concerned. I am the mom. And, and, um, but I want them to experience discomfort and controlled sort of challenges so that they do get that muscle developed so that they don't become adults. Um, what is it? Anti-fragile. They don't become adults that can't handle And I tell my girls, and I've told this to them since they were young, if you really want to do, if you're smart about it, you can do some really cool, dangerous stuff. If you're an idiot, you won't be allowed to. And they, they get that and they do it. And their dad is a great example of somebody who he teaches them how to take calculated risk. And a friend of mine told me this once. She said, listen, you've got to create these environments for your kids to do dangerous things because otherwise then they're a teenager and what are they, they're going to be like oh let me do a, a table full of drugs because i haven't had that experience i'm looking for that experience we're all kind of you gotta somewhere stretch your mind you gotta, looking yeah so do you want to do it through like 
driving, drinking and driving, or maybe you're going, you know, fast around a track or you're going, you know, you're going quick down a mountain. And I would rather see that than they're like dum dum dum, and then they get into it something really weird. I'm really interested in this, in, in hearing a little bit about high X and, and mm-hmm. then this extreme pool training. Is that mm-hmm. what it's called? Yeah. Well, you just call it pool. You don't have to put extreme in front of it. Uh, okay. We can know. make it extreme, but it doesn't have to be. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> it looked pretty extreme. Um, but but what was the, um, where did that come from? Are there just things that you've done yourself, you and layered yeah. of training techniques that you've developed yourselves? Well, okay. So uh, we'll start with the pool training. Pool training was Lair going, okay, I'm not a big fan of traditional swimming. Mm-hmm. Uh, he gets bored. So how do I improve in the water in my off season? And then we were all in the pool like, oh, and Laird's like, do this and try that. And then we all were crash test dummies. And here we are 40 exercises later, um, real like legitimate sequences that we can share with other athletes, even sports teams, to help them improve their performance. Uh, that started with, uh, you know, Laird is wildly curious. Oh, I would say so. And so, but it's also about his own need. Yeah. Right? Like what he needed. It started it. with what he needed. Of course. And then he shared it. <laughs> yeah. But what I love is that, yeah, of course, yeah. But I, I love that he's... Because it goes back to surfing. I'm very interested in us being involved with things that are you know, the most cutting edge information or, you know, really progressive, really scientific and presented in an inclusive way. Hmm. Well, you're, you're a so. great instructor and, and, um, highly motivated people in the pool. Bossy. I, yeah. Well, bossy. yeah, no, you are bossy. bossy. You did, <laughs> you did sort of tell people to go back in and do it again. And yeah, well, that it's was, for them when they yeah. leave, they feel so happy that they had success. Absolutely. And, and you said there's 40 different exercises, essentially. At least, at yeah. least? Okay. And then they're sequenced differently and at different times. And it's, and it's tied in with breathing techniques. So you're, you're not yeah. only doing the sets, you're also having to control your breathing and fight that urge to want to come to the surface and So breathe. sometimes it's ballistic. And usually with the ballistic, you get to breathe. You get a breath sort of on every rep. Because then we're asking you to be ballistic. And so you, you, can, you can work in this way where you're not crushing your joints but you're being dynamic. And then other parts of the training are, are working underwater without getting a breath. But what you understand is that you're working for a long period of time in a really stressful state. So in that moment is your opportunity to say, I feel a lot of stress. I need air. I can go further. And what am I going to do if I freak out? Is that going to help me? Or if I relax just a little more? Will that help me? And that actually has more to do with life than meathead training. Mm. And, and ultimately, that's actually got to feel like that's in everything. Because meathead training is meathead training. We only do that for one or two hours a day. Life is long. Yeah. And we spend that doing that a lot. So it's not only long days, weeks and years, right? So for me, I need there to be something underneath that is applicable to me as a person and the development or improvement of me as a person, not, okay, how are my biceps? So that's the pool training that's and pool training. the high X. So what was great about high X is I was like, okay, through flushing it out for years and years, I've taught 1200 classes is you have a team. So here's your accountability, right? Cause you even like on those days where you're like, oh, you'd come for me. And even if I was like, hey, Phil, good morning. What's up? Let's go. That is, that's important. No matter how old we get, purpose. we've got to connect with people, mm. right? And 
And then, so we had that. I'll tell you what to do. Cool. In it, you'll work on cardio. You'll work on strength, proprioception and balance. We got to get and stay on one foot, work on one leg at a time and a little bit of stretching. So we'll take care of sort of the overall. And if any trainer or any person ever tells you one modality of training is everything and all you need, they're actually probably not telling you the truth. Mm. It's a puzzle. You need to stretch. You need to move. You got to, you know, jump up and down. You got to get your heart rate up. It's all different things, but this is a form of training that you could do, especially for busy people. It's a short period of time. You work very hard. Once you complete a station, you move on to the next. I have very diverse. I can have 18 year old girls training with seven year old women following 35 year old, highly fit men. Mm. So your team is more representative of you. And then the whole group together represents a huge group of diverse group of people. So high X for me is something that I really appreciate because, um, what it was born from was a genuine thing of like, Oh my God, how do I figure this out and organize all these people? And it came out of necessity because you didn't have the gym and you right. needed to work out. Yeah. This is going to force me to be better each day and also a standard, right? Like mm. the way I conduct myself, if I see you, it's good morning. Mm. It isn't like, Oh, Hey, what's up? No, we're here. Good morning. We're ready to work. Yeah. After, fine, no problem. And I had a guy even say that to me at XPT. He said, oh, you did something that was very distancing in the training. The only unusual thing, you called me sir. And I was like, did I? I said, I called you sir because that was right behind, please grab more weight, sir. So it was me making a demand and a request followed by, I want you to know I respect you. Mm. And I've had coaches that would say, Miss Reese, let's do it again. And I understood what that meant. It meant it wasn't good enough. I needed to do it again, do it better. But I was being respected. Mm. I wasn't going to be let off the hook. But I was going to be that's within a, it. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, respected. You, you know, uh, I think of my, my daughter and her playing volleyball and, and some of the coaches that were really tough on her. Mm -hmm. And that's interesting because now I'm thinking about the, the, the coaches that were tough but respectful. Very different approach from the tough coaches who were almost dismissive, you know, and right. particularly with young women where guys talk hard to each other. You know, I have this all the time with sure. my wife where, different. where she'll say to me, don't use that tone with me. Yeah. And I'm like, what tone are you talking about? Okay, I don't we're know exchanging what, information. I, I'm just talking. Yeah. And guys would never say anything. Like no. that's how we're quite aggressive with each other sometimes. Yeah. And I don't hear the tone. Yeah. And then I don't know how to make that shift sometimes. With young women, it's important to take information. Yeah. Goes, goes back to don't take it personal. If your coach is saying to you, you can do it better, hear that. Well, I think it's made my daughter better in everything that she's doing. Mm -hmm. the, the good coaches I'm talking about. Absolutely. And the ones that really pushed her. She had one strength coach um, who was really like hard. It's a hard love, you know, tough mm -hmm. love. And... Um, I think it's been good for her, you know, pushing yeah. through and just, you know, doing the long hours that she's doing it, work and Work, everything. Yeah. It's Which, uncomfortable, by the way. Life is uncomfortable. Yeah. And, and, and practicing being uncomfortable is also just a great way of then dealing with when you have to be uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. <laughs> you know, and get you some have to be like, ooh, I feel uncomfortable and I'm going to slow it down and deal with it. What about the idea of, of aging, mm -hmm. particularly as a woman where, sure. where I think... I'm generalizing, but... Um, you can say it, Phil. Don't, don't, don't dance around it. Okay. You can but, say it. But there's just so much pressure on, on mm -hmm. women to have to look good. Sure. And, um, and, and so much of their 
worthiness is yep. wrapped up in yeah, how, how they pretty look. are you yeah. yeah and you've been like i said you've been called one of the most beautiful yeah. women in the world and could be worse to be celebrated for looking pretty yeah right mm -hmm. but i guess it's that idea too that as we get older we become less relevant in many ways That's we're right. not on the covers of magazines right. anymore if we're celebrities yeah and and for so-called ordinary people, mm -hmm. they, they're just not noticed on the street as much as they were. Yes, that's right. Just how do you embrace being older? Well, I think there's a couple tentacles to that. And I think that's a really fair point. I don't, I think I understand why it's hard on women. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, a year and a half or, you know, less to from 50 years old, but I think it's this, the notion, first off, it is what it is. And in the history of time, no one so far has escaped aging. It is what it is. So if you're going to be, live naturally and be natural, certain levels of acceptance, not rolling over or making excuses, just understanding that and finding that fluidity is helpful. However, never limit yourself. Well, I can't do that because I'm this age. I think it's a, it's a simultaneous thing happening where you have the acceptance of where you are at, wherever you are, you, not what the world tells you. Which is not a number. It's where you're at, where you are, at. how you feel, what can you do? Yeah. So keep working hard to silence the outside voices that you don't trust. Mm. And even your internal ones that are destructive. Um, and I have a dynamic relationship with Laird. That is really helpful. Um, my identity is not wrapped up in my husband, in that I was a volleyball player, in my children. I'm just me. And in that, I have to, I have to stay focused on how do I make the me that I am the happiest that I can be, feeling that great you know, sense of peace, if you will. And... Um, and, and every time, you know, once in a blue moon, if you have a psycho moment, you go, whoa. It's like, that's, that is life. Yeah. Like, that's life. And be grateful for that space that you occupied at that time. It was your, it was your time to do it. And embrace and maximize whatever space you're in. Do you, are you someone who looks forward? Do you look to things that you want to do in the future? A hundred percent. You do? A hundred percent. I don't, I'm still expanding. I have a lot of ideas. How exciting. Well, I mean, the stuff, like, you know, the but stuff I mean, before how exciting it's that over. You're, you're excited about going forward as opposed to some people who are resistant about moving forward. You know, that they yes. feel the need to have to try to hold on to what was before. I have a friend who lives from Hawaii. His name is Kai Borg and uh, Kai Garcia. And we were in the sauna and he said something that really stuck with me. And he didn't say it that long ago. Because Laird always tells me, we have a friend that plays in the NBA. And he goes, when you're in those arena and you have 35,000 people screaming for you, you need to balance that out with an hour in Mother Nature. Kai said, if you really think about it, humans are not meant really, we're not really equipped to be celebrated and like put up on a pedestal and have like lots of people. So you have to know that it's sort of a dangerous and unnatural thing. And it may be part of our job. Like you sort of navigating that too, like you understand it, but to the level that you let it impact you mm. um, is, is dangerous. And, and the other thing is when I'm here and I'm dedicated to this and I'm into this, I still have to understand 
who do I think I would also like to continue to be and be working on that too? Because that makes this transition a lot easier. Mm. Instead of er, the brakes come, you know, you fall off the cliff and you go, oh, okay, I got to pick myself up and start all over again. It's something else. I've started at the bottom many times and you're just like, yo, I was really good over there and that was easy. And now I'm starting again, but it's the way it is. So yeah. it's like, how do you, it's like the kids are going to move out. Don't wait until they're moved out. And then you go, oh my God, I'm going to cry in a pile. No, what do you want to do? Mm. They're leaving. So, so I think you have that in your work in your, in everything. You sort of keep looking and say like, well, what would feel really good about who I would like to continue to become? Mm. I love that. But it takes, you, you got to think about it. Yeah. You have to suck it up. You have to embrace it too. I think Yeah. Right? you have to embrace change. Which, which does go back to something that Laird said to me a long time ago again, and I, I said it before, this whole idea of shocking yourself, like constantly shifting your equilibrium yeah. to try to do new and different things. So yeah. you're ready for it. Because I think people, again, they have certain expectations about how their life is going to work out. Sure. And well, they're not looking at what's really happening. They're just thinking about the movie inside their mind, the yeah. expectation, and also... Some of us go to sleep. Yeah. And it's like, la, la, la. And it's like, what do you mean they left? You know, it's like, yo, you better pay attention to yeah. each day. And the nuance of your tone in your partner's voice. And like, is your train on the tracks or is it starting to get wobbly? Like, pay attention. Mm. Um, because those are the moments. Mm. You know, it's like I have friends that I say, like, they want to get on when the thing leaves the platform. It's like, yeah, but it was sitting there and the doors were wide open. It didn't occur to you that you needed to get on. Yeah. And I think it, that is a really important trait to keep is to, is to, is to don't go to, don't go to sleep. Yeah. Go to sleep Stay at engaged. night, but in your life, don't yeah. go to sleep. Yeah. Stay switched on. Be aware. And Laird is a great teacher of that. He, he wouldn't, I always say Laird is the best clear the decks person I've ever seen. If I was weird for one whole day and I had weird looks and we're, what's up? clear the decks. And sometimes it's just even gives me the opportunity to go like, Oh, I feel stagnant or I'm frustrated or what have you, but it's, he's aware, but that's nature, right? Nature mm. isn't like, okay, it's good. Here's the weather. And here's how it's always going to be. It's like, yo, there's a storm coming or here's the wind or it's sunny or whatever it is. And I, and I just feel like we can participate and be involved and, and know that. But like you said, it's always, it's always going to change. And so what do you want that change to be? Because it's coming. Yeah. So do you want to participate And we do have control over what we do. We do. More than we think. Yeah. And when we don't, take that like a champ too. Yeah. Just roll with it. Yeah. I'm going to end with just three questions. Okay. I'll keep it short. Uh, no, you don't have to. Um, what makes you laugh? Oh, my family makes me laugh. Really? They're, yeah. Well, they're crazy. I, I actually love comedy. Yeah. So I love like stand-up comedy like that's my, do you go see I like documentaries. Comedy? I used to like, I think Dave Chappelle was the last person I yeah. saw live. I really well, weirdly situation. like to laugh. And so those are my two things I watch documentaries, learn or laugh. That's it. Love it. And if you could take a road trip and you could take anybody in the car from any time in history oh. and you were going to drive to New York in the next 10 days, any person in the, I mean, I would almost say, I would almost say my dad, just cause I didn't get to know him, huh. but I'll try to think of someone more provocative. No, but that, that's an interesting choice. Who would I take? I think, 
Your dad's a good choice. I think my dad. I didn't really get to... And I feel like sometimes there's so much of my perspective that f- sometimes like I realize we have a lot of DNA download. Sure. And um, and I certainly... It's not that I'm trying to understand myself better, but I think it would be nice to have that visit. You got two more people, Gabrielle, to put in the car. Oh, two more. <laughs> yeah. Okay. From sports point of view, I'll tell you the truth. Um, babe Dietrichson Zaharias was one of the really the babe was her name. Yeah, she really impacted me because I remember seeing an image of her, her and Cheryl Miller, in Sports Illustrated. Cheryl Miller was in Sports Illustrated, and um, I was like, oh wow, women can be like that, like aggressive and muscular. And I remember feeling like that was sort of really interesting for me because I was already big, but I didn't realize like girls did that in a way that was like, yeah. I own this. So I think I think it would be interesting to take her because I've I've read some books on her and found her to be very For those people who don't know, can you explain who she was? Yeah, so she was not only a track star, she was also a professional golfer and a professional tennis player. And she died of cancer and she was married. It felt like she probably was pretty masculine though. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was just balls to the wall. And when, What year was this? She was in the 50s, 40s and 50s. And there's a story, whether it's true or not, that she had gone into a golf, uh, a locker room and said, oh, which one of you bitches is getting second this weekend or something to that effect. And I thought, wow, I would never have the courage. If you think it a thousand times, you'd only hope it. I'm sure Serena Williams would have the courage. But that I was like, to be liberated enough to own it especially as a female, when that is so, such a conflict. Um, is, and it, it, it wasn't, it's not done out of like um, anger or emotion. It's in the male, right? It's in the masculine that I think would be uh, pretty great. And maybe weirdly, I'm going to say Ayn Rand. She might, I'd like to take her in the car too. Can you also explain she re- that? She wrote uh, Atlas Shrugged, The Fountainhead. And I read these books when I was about 14 or 15, and they had a pretty interesting, it just changed my way of thinking about the world. Because right. it was, you sort of realized, like, it is not as all that it, it seems. And um, I don't know, she was just sort of interesting had a profound person for me to read. And, you know, I was thinking about your question, too, about as a woman being older, this and that, and this, thing, this story about Babe. The other thing that does help me with aging, but has always helped me, is I say as I get older, I want to be more nurturing, have greater capacity to nurture, but also I want to go more into my male. Because in the sense of not allowing myself to feel that I have to be a fresh, just blossomed flower, because it's not going to happen, right? So why not switch into other parts of my personality that that sort of mm. liberate me from that scale of measurement? Can I? Could I be smarter? Could I be funnier? Could I be more powerful? Could I be more, like I said, mm. I think nurturing is really important. So rather than getting obsessed with what's being lost, it's a real look at brutal death. It's a brutal death. And with life's experience and going through things, women have the capacity to sort of look at it differently, handle it differently and respond to it differently. And so I think for me, that is something that's very important is to, to, to increase my capacity to nurture, because I think we need, certainly we need that in our homes and in our lives and in our world but then to be sort of more direct, more matter of fact, and 
and understand that when maybe if I walk in the room, my role at this point is not to be the youngest, freshest face in the room. It's something else. And that's got to be okay. That's really healthy. I like that. Yeah. What are you going to do? And the final question is what you would do if you knew that your last day on earth was tomorrow. What would you do with that day? I wouldn't do anything different. I wouldn't. I mean, my kids are here. My husband's here. I wouldn't do anything different. Well, the good news is that Laird is in agreement. So. Oh, did he? Yeah. I would do one thing. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't respond to any more emails. That's a good one. That's it. I, I know that it was okay not to be unresponsive. Yeah, I don't need to respond. <laughs> I'd let the inbox full up. Be okay. I'd actually throw my phone away. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks. If you have a really cool story that you want to share with us, then why not share it? Maybe you'll become my next guest. Don't forget, you can watch this podcast online at philcogan.com.